0: hello and welcome this is Ted Holsey this is another episode of the efolder channel chat podcast this is episode 19 today I am joined by Peter Cardell CEO of clever ducks uh, Peter welcome to today's call
1: thanks for having me on
0: okay well great welcome um, you know I, I get to see you and Amy traveling the globe uh, on social media uh, but it's uh, it's kind of been a while since you and I have had a chat had a chance to chat one on one One of the things we always like to do on the Channel Chat podcast is just start out and ask uh, the MSP business owner to tell us a little bit about their business. So tell us about Clever Ducks.
1: You know, I love talking about Clever Ducks, but it really started back when uh, I was just a teenager um, helping my father out in his law firm. Um, We watched a number of consultants come in and try to help him, um, he was a solo practitioner, uh, business tax attorney, uh, trying to help him with his law practice and just seeing how that was a real struggle to find competent help that really understood the pressures that lawyers face. Um, it's a very deadline, high-stakes, high-stress business. And uh, I started helping him out. I brought a friend of mine in to help him with his law firm. And pretty soon, I was hooked. And I no longer wanted to grow up and be an attorney like my father. but. Um, I wanted to help other people succeed in business with technology, like I was able to do with my father. And uh, so my trajectory changed, and I uh, launched a consulting business um, right there from his office, his law office. Um, I started consulting with other attorneys that um, were in the same office building and office complex, and then I got referred all over town. Um, And pretty soon I had a thriving um, solo uh, consultant uh, consulting business um, that really put me through college at Cal Poly.
0: Oh wow! So okay, so you started this was before you even had your college degree. Yes, and you were put yourself through school. Great. Well, so so kind of fast forward, and and now you guys are uh, fifteen or sixteen folks. I, I
1: understand. mm mm-hmm. Yeah. So at one point, uh, my wife and I decided let's. Let's grow an organization. We want this thing to be bigger than ourselves. Um, We want to be able to um, go on vacation, um, have some work-life balance, um, and we want to be able to serve more people. And we're just kind of tapped out, uh, you know, just doing everything by yourself. Um, We want to be able to multiply um, the things that we've learned across a team of people uh, to serve many folks. So Renamed the company to Clever Ducks. Uh, we wanted something that wasn't about us. Something that was sticky, was fun, um, and invocative, a name that uh, people could remember. And uh, I think uh, I think we succeeded there.
0: And uh, Clever Ducks, explain the name. What's What's behind it? I think I think I've seen some things written here and there, but but tell our audience about what you mean by Clever Ducks.
1: Well, Clever Ducks is a Danish term of endearment. It's like um, you you smart. You know, it was Smart Cookie, um, and we wanted something like that, uh, nothing that had tech or network or uh, I <laughs> in the name, um, because those names all just blend together. Um, and we wanted uh, a name that could have a story behind it, something that um, we could talk about how we um, fly in formation and we support each other, um, how we're versatile. You know, ducks can walk on land they can swim and they can fly Um, and that and we're versatile as a team and uh, we're there to support each other and ducks are fun you know animals are um accessible they're fun
0: and do you guys uh you know you talked about your roots came out of the the legal vertical is that uh where you guys focus today or do have you gone broader than legal tell us about that
1: yeah i well first of all i just want to say i love lawyers Uh, i was raised by An attorney, my sister became a labor and employment lawyer, um, and uh, Amy's finishing up law school for her third master's degree, (laughs) or JD. Um, uh, But law law firms aren't necessarily the best fit for our business. I mean, we're looking for companies that see IT as mission critical. Um, They see it as a strategic weapon um, for delivering better uh, service to their customers. Um, And the legal industry um, isn't necessarily the best fit for us unless the law firm gets to a certain size, where their customers and their relationship with their customers becomes um, big enough and critical enough to really drive the need for that IT. We're in a small market here in San Luis Obispo. It's a wonderful town. Um, Oprah Winfrey was right. It's the happiest place on earth. Um, But there's only 43,000 people here. Uh, Many of them are Cal Poly students, and uh, so we don't have huge law firms here in San Luis. Um, We have a handful of them, and uh, most of them are clients of ours, so we're happy to serve.
0: Okay, great. Um, And and then do you do do anything with verticals, though? I mean, beyond, I mean, are there other uh, kind of clusterings of, of clients who view IT as strategic and happen to be maybe have a base of operations there in San Luis Obispo?
1: Uh, really, what um, since it is a small area, um, you know, we tend to focus on a psychographic more than a vertical. Um, Great. Certainly, uh, verticals um, do fall out from that. Um, so we are looking for customers that see IT as mission critical. Um, they want to cut cost with IT, not on IT. Um, and naturally then the verticals come out, like healthcare um, with all the regulations and the just uh, incredible pressures on doctors to be highly productive and secure. Um, accounting and finance fits right in there. Uh, manufacturing um, is very information intensive. Um, and then uh, hospitality when it gets large enough. If there's enough um, locations um, and general managers and staff Uh, That have to be coordinated then hospitality can make sense as well
0: so how do you I I love the idea of trying to find clients and prospects who want to cut costs with IT not on IT so tell us a little bit about how you find that swath of the market
1: Uh, well that's a good question we don't do much outbound marketing Um, It's really uh, a matter of being of service first um, Mm -hmm. rather than seeking to get business. Um, So a lot of it has to do with just a thought leadership um, marketing approach, um, writing blogs, making videos, um, speaking engagements, and just looking for ways that we can speak truth into business owners' lives and they hear what we have to say and go, wow, you know, we should expand the conversation and and see what else you guys can do for us.
0: So there's kind of an organic notion there that if you're if you have a vision for the kind of client you want, and you're producing interesting, compelling content, uh, people will self-select. So if your if your content resonates with people, then. Those will be the leads that come in, and those will be the referrals that will actually take a meeting and engage with you a little more deeply on, on uh, exploring whether you guys are the right right choice for them.
1: Yeah, that's true. And it, it makes it really fun because, um, you know, I, in my heart, I am, I'm a technician. Um, I'm somebody that likes to solve problems. I love complex uh, systems and figuring out how to optimize them. And um, sales isn't something that's natural for me. Um, But helping people is. (laughs) So talking to a prospect and really getting in and figuring out how we we can help them, what their highest, best good is. And if we um, could play a role in that, that's great. And if not, and if I can find someone else or another firm that's a better fit for them, I'm just as happy, honestly, truthfully, in my heart. um, Because the best for that client or that prospect has been found.
0: Now, have you guys um, have you guys kind of gone to market with uh, or evolved to kind of more of a managed services model? I know you're in peer groups, and you and Amy are, you know, talking with all the everyone trying to transform this industry. Obviously, because Amy's leading CompTIA right now, I think, chair chairman of the board. I think, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, chairwoman. Chairwoman. Person, I, I, chairperson. I guess, uh, yeah. Chairperson.
0: Thank you uh, of the yeah. board. Uh, but are, talk to us a little about a man, the managed services uh, kind of business model and what what are you guys doing there.
1: Yeah, so our revenue model, um, I like to say, is a, a fixed fee revenue model. Um, customers want to have all that, all that complexity taken care of and handled for them so that they can focus on being the experts in their field and we can handle that little piece of their business that they're not the best at. I mean, it's similar to you know, hiring a CPA or a CFO or uh, legal counsel. You don't want to have all that stuff in-house because you don't—you wouldn't even know how to manage those people. So, um, And the revenue model that we uh, adopt exclusively is a fixed fixed fee um, because we're taking on that risk um, from the customers. They don't want that risk anymore, and, and they're willing to hand that over to us, and uh, the fixed fee is really helpful there. So that goes with that. Uh, Uh, monthly service that we provide which we try to include as many things as possible Um, and then uh, it also includes any projects or change management we will bid those out all for a fixed fee so there's no risk they know what it's going to cost ahead of time and when they hit go it's taken care of
0: now that's where you are today with but uh, was there a time when you were doing kind of more break-fix work and you had to make that transition or is that just such ancient history it's way in the rearview mirror? <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, so we weren't born uh, in in the MSP model. We had to evolve there and uh, that was a challenging experience. Um, I remember when I started, I ran around uh, with time slips running on my laptop, you know, and I would record time and uh, if it was if I was efficient and um, was really diligent about um, timekeeping hygiene um, and I was smart about scheduling ahead of time um, uh, I'd have high utilization you know I'd get you know 75 80 85 percent utilization and that was good and revenue was good but if I got sick or uh, schedules sort of broke down or dependencies um, gummed up the works, then the revenue would really fall off. And it really felt, um, it didn't feel better, honestly, adding people to the team, because that really multiplied the stress out of keeping all the people in the team highly utilized. I mean, that's what we talked about all the time is utilization and, you know, it is keep keeping your time in and um, just the pressure. You just felt like uh, you're in front of a speeding train all the time, just trying to keep. Ahead of the ahead of the locomotive, and keeping everybody on the track. So, the transition to managed services um, was a challenge because um, at first we weren't all you know, weren't that great at it, honestly. Because um, really, um, all the risk was then shifted to us, and for a fixed fee. And so it really came down to um, managing the IT uh, for the best possible outcome at the lowest cost for the customer and for us. And that's mm-hmm. the key. And for us, um, and that took some time to get there. And, and pricing things correctly, um, you know, we want to we want to provide great value, and uh, we have a tendency to be overly optimistic, or I do. And if you don't price your services um, at a, at a high enough level or a level that's commensurate with the level of service you're providing, you're not going to be able to do it. You there, you can't cheat physics. It's just not going to happen. So really getting your pricing model right um, in alignment with the, what the market wants and then uh, being able to articulate what the value proposition of that uh, is, is uh, super key. So then fast forward to now where we we won't even have a conversation um, with a prospect that doesn't want managed services or, you know, we don't do just projects. It's, it's a, a relationship that we're looking for. Um, the revenue is off the table. That's already decided on both sides, you know, the client relationship and ours. Um, and so a, a big strain has been taken off. And now really it's a matter of what is best for this customer and how can we help them be as successful as possible. And their success and our success are tied together.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And talk to us a little bit about how you've grown the team. Um, how, how has that evolved and are there things you're doing that are kind of unique on employee retention or company culture? Um Things you're really proud about in that area?
1: Um, well, the the shelf life on an IT person's um, knowledge is pretty short. So um, what you knew and were great at um, a couple years ago or uh, five years ago is not so valuable now, um, with the exception of the soft skills. Um, so we believe that training is just uh, manifold to having a great team. And the type of people that we want to attract to our company are people that want that, that want to be invested in. So um, we've developed a training plan and a growth path for every person that comes on board um, at Clever Ducks. Um, And there's a clear progression. You know, you get this certification and then this certification, you get a promotion and a raise. You know, you're in control essentially. Um, I think that's something that uh, millennials in particular are are very attracted to. They like the autonomy that comes with that. Um, and they, they like being able to pursue the mastery, you know, that personal um, growth. They want to be a part of a team that's in it for them as well.
0: And so, where are you, where, I mean, kind of what's the state of the art? I mean, I hear a lot of, uh, let's see, uh, carping a little bit about kind of the state of kind of vendor certifications and, And vendor training resources—it seems kind of all over the map. Um, Are there vendors out there that are doing extremely well in terms of facilitating what you need to get done in terms of training your staff, or are there other resources kind of outside the vendor world that you're trying to tap into?
1: Uh, Well, I think the vendor world is quite good um, training on their products. Um, That's sort of table stakes nowadays. It's as uh, technology moves really, really fast, um, in order for any of their partners to be successful, they've got to be able to get up to speed with their technology quickly. I think there's just a laziness on a lot of our parts, um, not taking advantage of that training. You know, um, we use SonicWall, for example, and all of our on the growth path for all of our techs is to become certified. I mean, it costs money um, and some time. Uh, but it just has to be done. and we see um, we see that impact immediately when that certification is is pursued and obtained, it makes a huge difference. And we do the same with the um, storage craft, which you um, you partner with. Um, and then there's some ag- uh, vendor agnostic certifications like the ones that CompTia has around you know the A plus network plus, security plus Project plus. Um, and some others, and uh, we find those to be very, very helpful. Where we've um, found that we've kind of gotten ahead of the industry are some of the more squishy ones, uh, things around uh, business intelligence. There doesn't seem to be any certifications there, and uh, so we're we've developed our own, basically. Um, and some other vendor-agnostic ones are like the ITIL certifications. Those are really good.
0: Have you there's, so there's kind of all the technical training some of which comes from vendors, some might that might come from CompTIA, that is kind of skills-based, but um, have you explored things like lynda.com, which is now uh, owned by LinkedIn, and and other kind of training resources that might round out and give people opportunities to kind of push their own skills development and education in different areas? Is that something you've touched on yet?
1: Sure. Um, we have uh, one of our team members has been certified in crucial conversations by VitalSmarts, Mm -hmm. uh, which we think is a life skill, being able to hold those difficult and challenging conversations when the stakes are high and and there's a difference between expectations and reality, and uh, the emotions are, are charged. And that's something, especially with technical people, we tend to be reluctant to. Um, or run away from confrontation. So um, we we feel that that's a super important skill to train. Um, we think that the, the well-being or health of our employees um, goes way beyond um, just providing health care and a good place to work and not having sodas or any garbage <laughs> here that we give them, a, a snack food. Uh, we think their financial well-being and health is super important. Um, uh, so we um, have offered and most of our staff has gone through um, the dave ramsey financial peace uh,
0: oh, university
1: okay. training so we bought, brought a trainer in to do that and um, it was super well received um, look at if people are having um, cash flow challenges at home um, uh, studies have shown that that it impacts their iq by a full standard deviation it's Amazing how much uh, of an impact that could have. And we just don't want people struggling in their personal lives, and if we can help there too, that's awesome.
0: Well, it's <laughs> it seems so enlightened, but I, I I really struggle with how few companies I see really investing in an intentional way, um, you know, in their employees. Um, now, you don't need to name names, of course, but you, you are on a peer group or two, and mm. um, you guys are clearly leading in this area. Why do you think uh, other MSP business owners seem to struggle in, in investing in this area?
1: Uh, I, I I don't know. <laughs> If you agree like with me? I mean, you,
0: might, you might disagree with me. I mean, maybe my, my observation that it is a struggle or a challenge is, is off or not true. It just um, I, I kind of had this view that, that uh, kind of training MSPs are uniquely positioned to provide training resources to their clients in a lot of ways. Mm. Uh, but kind of like that philosophy starts at home. Yeah, and and we often hear complaints about well, if I take you know somebody, if I send somebody to my SonicWall certification class, they're not billable or they're not utilized. It's going to impact their utilization or they're out of the field. You know, you know, blah 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 blah. And it's just like you kind of just shake your head and wonder like what's going on upstairs with with that sort of thinking.
1: Uh, Well, I, I mean, I think it's just advanced common sense, and it's the next logical step. You mentioned utilization. Um, you know, as soon as we got out out from in front of that freight train and utilization was no longer even a consideration, um, really efficiency becomes um, the watchword, right? right? And how do you become more efficient, you know? <laughs> I mean, well, you can try harder or you can work smarter. And by equipping your people with the training, it just seems like a no-brainer. Um, and we just decided to really invest in that process and and um, put some very clear guidelines and swim lanes around it. Um, and it's been huge, it really has been. We were inspired to a large degree uh, by a couple books. Um, one is um, uh, Charles Dewegg's Power of Habit. And in that book, he describes these certain habits called keystone habits. And they're ones that, when you adopt them, all kinds of other habits automatically fall in place. Um, a very, very powerful one is uh, exercise. So if you regularly exercise, and I mean regularly, four, you know, three, four, five times a week, um, you will sleep better. You'll be ready to go to sleep, and you'll sleep more soundly. And then you start to crave healthier food. I mean, it is so true. So you you start eating better, um, and you know, you make more healthy choices. So all these other habits sort of fall into place. And we started thinking, huh, what do you think the Keystone habit of an MSP should be? Um, and that's when I thought, you know what? It's got to be training, investing in your people so that they can do their best work. And if they can do their best work, they can be the most efficient they possibly can. Um, that's got to be it. Um, and then that fit in with. Uh, um, Daniel Pink's work um, uh, around what inspires or motivates the knowledge worker in his book Drive, um, which is, turns out to be autonomy, mastery, and purpose. So, um, you know, this whole training mindset really drives at mastery, you know, giving people a, a chance to be great at something through that training. Um, and it also gives them a, a level of autonomy because they're kind of controlling their future and their. The, you know They're holding the reins. Though the future's not happening to them, they're driving towards it.
0: I love it. I love it. So is there a rule of thumb? I mean, have you kind of sharpened the pencil in terms of like, okay, this is what we think we need to exp- to spend on an annualized basis? I mean, have you looked at it from that dimension that, you know, 20% of somebody's W-2 we need to invest in training a year or something like that? I mean, have you thought about it in those terms?
1: You know, we started that. Um, We started with a budget where we would um, provide people with um, uh, about $350 a a quarter to buy training materials and certifications. Um, And that really worked. Um, But then we decided to get rid of the budget altogether and then just define what the growth path was and just provide unlimited resources towards it. Uh, Because, you know, you can only train so much, and the folks are studying on their own time at home, um, and they're taking the tests on their own time, but we're paying for the, the, the certifications themselves, which can be pretty expensive. I mean, some of the tests can cost upwards of a $1,000, um, and we provide all the training material. So uh, we're really partnering with the employees on it, and we found that um, there's no need to put any kind of limit or budget on it, if you think of it that way.
0: Great. And so, yeah, so really it's part of managing people and coming alongside them and uh, and really thinking about each employee's learning path. That's kind of a part of a manager's job to be in tune with that. And uh, somebody might need a ton or have huge ambitions, um, and others may may require slightly less. So it seems something more ad hoc is probably and customized is probably better it's better there.
1: It's true. It's true. As And your growth path has to accommodate how people are wired. I mean, people are gifted in different ways. I mean, some folks are super passionate about IT security. And so that, that could be one of the growth paths that you provide. And some people are more interested in management or, you know, data analytics or, or whatnot, BI. So, yeah.
0: So if you were kind of, if you were imagining you were sitting with your peer group and maybe you've had this conversation with them and you were trying to give some other business owners advice on how to start moving in the right direction in this area. What, what what are some of the kind of the practical ways? If somebody just said, you know what, that made total sense to me, but we are nowhere close to that today. Like, What are some of the, the practical steps that you could recommend to a, a fellow MSP business owner to kind of start heading in that direction?
1: I think the, it's important for you to imagine your team as they are today and then imagine the skills that they're going to need in the next 3 years um, and then what are what does it look like what training did, would they need in order to get there and that would be a great way to start you know i'm sure you have people on the team that you want to move up into another tier and start taking on more responsibility um, go and find what that what that training would look like um, we borrowed heavily from CompTIA and their um, growth path um, <clears throat> and Microsoft's. And then we added a whole bunch of stuff of our own. And the interesting thing about the the CompTIA uh, maps um, is that only, uh, I would say, less than 5% of them were certifications they provide. Um, it's really made up of all kinds of different industry certifications. I think they did a fine job with that. You can just go out and Google it.
0: Okay, fantastic. Well, um, that's that's great advice, and uh, I'm convinced. I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm just think, I'm just thinking about. I mean, it's it's to be quite frank, it's something that, as a manager here at eFolder, I've, I've struggled with. I mean, I think if you look at the vendor world, um, we have many of the same struggles. Where it seems the chasing the, chasing the revenue quarterly goal or whatever oh, it yeah. else, or the leads or the opportunities or the closed business seems to often get in the way of developing people and thinking more kind of strategically about people's path within within the company and then how that can actually uh, you know, facilitate the company's success over the medium and long haul. So um, it's an area where I think we all need to, to think on it a lot more and, and sit down and form some goals uh, to develop our people better.
1: Uh, it's also fun to do because it's it's such a powerful Uh, relationship driver because it communicates to your people that I am for you (laughs) I'm for your highest best good and let's explore what that is together and we'll help you get there
0: awesome Well, Peter, this has been very enjoyable, very insightful, and I think our our listeners are going to have a lot to do, uh, if they (laughs) got the gospel, if you will, uh, from today's conversation. Um, So thank you very much for making time for us today on the eFolder Channel Chat Podcast.
1: Dynamite. Thank you so much.
0: Okay. Uh, Today I was joined by Peter Cardell, CEO of Clever Ducks, and this is Ted Holsey with the eFolder Channel Chat Podcast signing off. Take care, everybody.